created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. This is the next evolution of professional development in higher education. Every week, it's my honor to bring you higher education thought leaders, topics of note, current trends, and new information to ponder. Be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, What's Up in the Academy, on the Substack platform, and follow me here on Fireside, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, I want to welcome everyone. If you have not been on Fireside before, please uh, remember that this is an interactive show and we'd love to have you be part of the show later on. Typically at this point, I uh, give you the news of the day and I will do that, but I want to take a moment to make sure to acknowledge uh, this past week's violence uh, in Texas and uh, make a statement that this is a choice, everybody. We are in this situation as a nation, um, as a choice. Uh, we can choose to continue to live uh, as our lives and our freedoms are being impacted uh, by violence and by senselessness, uh, or we can choose to make a difference. And one of the things you can choose to do is use your platform, and I am about to use mine. You don't have to have a podcast or a blog uh, to use your platform. Every single one of you has a platform. Uh, you have a platform at your church. You have a platform at your PTO. You have a platform on your campus. You have a platform with your family. You have a platform. Uh, do something. You can choose to take action, and there are several ways to take action. You can call your uh, leaders, both at your state and federal level. You can choose to attend a protest or a rally you can organize one. But when you choose to do something, tell people you're choosing to do it. That is called using your platform. And when you vocalize that you are doing something, other people will find inspiration in that and do something themselves. So moving to today's higher ed news, um, According to Higher Ed Dive, undergraduate enrollment has fallen 4.7% this spring, about 66 thousand fewer undergraduates enrolled in college in the spring of 2022 compared to the year before, according to the Clearinghouse. This comes to us from Education Dive. Um, <clears throat> those losses represent 4.7% decline in undergraduate students, a steeper downturn than what was seen this past fall. Dips occurred across institution types uh, tracked, including public, private, and community colleges. This report spells more bad news for higher education sector, which has been hammered by enrollment declines for years. Uh, 
The next story comes to us from uh, Notre Dame uh, University from Inside Higher Education. Uh, Notre Dame faces new questions about the professor who wrote a 2013 article that apparently influenced the mass shooting in Buffalo. Uh, both the University of Notre Dame and John Gosky, a, an associate professor of marketing there, expressed great uh, regret last week that an article that he wrote on interracial violence was cited in the Buffalo, New York mass shooting suspects raced in screed. Um, in short, separate statements from both Gosky and Joel Curran, a Notre Dame spokesperson noted the publication uh, year of Gosky's article of 2013. This effectively, if not intent, intern intentionally created years of distance between Gosky's statements and this month's appearance hate crime. Yet Gosky published a version of the article just last year in the Indiana Policy Review. Um, so uh, this has put a lot of focus on uh, University of Notre Dame and their treatment of faculty there. And finally, uh, the from Business Insider just uh, released about an hour ago, leadership at one of the biggest loan companies expects that President Joe Biden will cancel $10,000 in debt per, per borrower in the next few weeks. Uh, so we will keep an eye on that. I am hoping that if that comes through, we are also going to be looking at interest rates and really make an, an impact on people's bottom line. So today uh, we are joined by uh, two uh, incredible guests. We will be focusing on uh, the recent Politico um, published leak of when Supreme Court Justice Alito's draft uh, overturning the Roe v. Wade uh, law uh, that has been on the books for 50 years, um, and uh, how this is going to impact higher education. We are joined today by Beth Grampetro. She's been on the show before. Thank you, Beth, for being here. Um, Beth has been working in higher education for 19 years with a focus on college health for most of her career. Uh, in her positions at various campuses, she has managed health services, health promotion, and counseling services. Beth is currently serving as the Director of Wellness at Olin College of Engineering in Needham, Massachusetts. Beth received her Master's in Public Health from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and her Bachelor of Science in Health Promotion from Hofstra University in New York. Welcome, Beth. Thank you for being here. And uh, Josh Grubman is here. He is a first-time guest, so be kind. Um, is the associate general counsel at the University of Rhode Island School of I'm sorry at Rhode Island School of Design, focusing on regulatory and risk management, policy development, employment operations, and student affairs. His practice prior to in-house positions included outside counsel for post-secondary education, regulatory issues, and government relations. Josh graduated from Bates College. Uh, for his undergraduate degree and earned his, earned his Juris Doctor at Suffolk University School of Law. Thank you, Josh, for being here. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to have a discussion about this really important topic. For those of you who have not been on Fireside before, I'm going to give you a quick orientation. Um, at the bottom of your uh, your device screen, you're going to see three buttons. The button to your far left, we call the hamburger. That gives you an opportunity to broadcast to the world and share uh, this uh, broad 
broadcast. Uh, so if you hit broadcast to the world, that will take you to a screen where you can copy a link to this uh, broadcast and you can share it to whatever uh, social media platforms you would like to do. Um, you can request to come up on stage from the microphone and you can also in the in the far left corner of your, or sorry, far right corner of your phone, you can hit the react button where you can give us a thumbs up, you can clap, uh, you can do uh, a variety of things. So thank you all for being here. Also, you will see in the center of your screen a fortune cookie where a few links will come up over the course of the show. Uh, so I, I want to frame this to begin. Um, so this goes to both of you. How did you find out about the uh, Supreme Court leak and what was first consideration for you uh, had which was the first thing you considered as far as how it might start to impact higher ed. Um, and I'm going to start with Beth and then we're going to go to. I definitely found out about it on Twitter. It's where I get all my bad news. Um, <laughs> and, and also just based on who I follow there, this is the sort of thing a lot of people were talking about. I think the first thing that came to mind for me, both related to higher ed and not, was just the impact this will have on people who want an abortion. And I think that includes a lot of students um, and also would include, in some cases, employees of colleges and universities. Um, mm -hmm. And so just that was where my brain went first. And then I think we're going to talk as we get into this discussion about some of the other things that I've thought of since then that are a little bit more germane to enrollment and recruitment and retention of employees as well. Right. Um, Josh, what about you? How did what was your first higher ed focused thought after uh, finding out the news? It was yeah, certainly students and uh, faculty staff are employees here, and higher ed and how they would be impacted. Um, a lot thinking a lot though of my colleagues in states where they will be facing uh, trigger laws and other uh, immediate restrictions uh, further uh, on abortion rights. Um, we live in a certain area of the country out here where many of those rights are protected, um, but uh, the college community is kind of a national thing. You know, we have networks all over the place. Uh, we have students coming from all portions of the country. And in, you know, the age of COVID, uh, post-COVID uh, type area, we have uh, employees now working all over the country. And they're, uh, the, the kind of world has opened up, so to speak, a little bit more, but the impact of this decision certainly impacts uh, a broader population for us now. Um, you know, it, uh, the places where I work, but also uh, places where my colleagues work as well. And we are a, um, a very supportive community, I found, in, in higher ed um, across the nation. And when we deal with issues like this, uh, we're impacted differently, but we also get together and support one another and work on figuring out how to address these issues at our colleague institutions as well. So uh, those all came to mind first, and there's certainly more that's unfolded since then. Um, I know I found out about it. Um, I was actually running a training for relational organizing and people who uh, came were on this Zoom training uh, they, some people just all kind of looked at their phone all at the same time and had this kind of response of, oh God, this is happening right now. Um, and so I will, uh, you know, it was a moment where I said, you know, as Beth said, you know, I'm thinking broadly. And then I 
always go, then my next point is how is this going to impact higher ed? And, uh, you know, I put my, my senior student affairs officer hat on and said, I think one of the first things I would be doing is trying to figure out, okay, how do we continue to support people if I'm in a place where this is not going to be able to be uh, an open and honest conversation because of limitations uh, in terms of the, what the state, uh, what, what that state might be doing. And we are fortunate that three of us are in uh, part of the country where, uh, at least here in Massachusetts, they codified Roe at a state level, but that is also going to have an impact on the services that our, that our people in our state get, and we'll get more into that in a second. Um, Beth, you have a background in not only uh, public health, but in abortion fund advocacy. Um, in the interest of transparency, can you discuss this work and how that shapes how you see this issue in the broad sense? Sure. So I used to be a volunteer for my local abortion fund. Um, and abortion funds are organizations that provide financial support as well as um, sometimes practical support to people getting abortions. Um, the work I did was basically assisting callers with financial strategizing um, to pay for their procedure and also awarding grants. Um, so the fund, you know, gives out money to people to help them pay. Um, in Massachusetts right now, the cost of a first trimester abortion is somewhere in the neighborhood of six or seven hundred dollars. Um, and I mean, how this shapes my perspective on it is basically just like, I think your reason for getting an abortion is a good enough reason. Mm -hmm. I don't really need to know what it is. Um, I think, you know, it really, I always felt that way, but I think it was work um, that really taught me even more how important it is to trust people mm -hmm. when they are seeking this care, um, that they know what they need and they know why they need it. Um, and so it also really opened my eyes to the kind of things outside just the cost of the procedure. Um, because sometimes we were helping people with securing childcare or transportation to and from clinics or, um, trying to get out of abusive situations and trying to figure out like, how do you amass the funds to do this and get yourself to and from without an abusive partner knowing or with, or without, you know, someone in your life who wouldn't support you finding out about it. And so just, yeah, really helped me to understand even better the complications around this sort of need. And I, and I appreciate, and I, I want to call attention to something Beth just said is that uh, a, a person's decision as to, uh, having uh, to pursue having an abortion is their own decision and regardless of the circumstance. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about, uh, we hear a lot about women who might have an ectopic pregnancy or there's the health of the baby or, uh, you know, a trauma was the cause of the pregnancy, whether it be rape or sexual assault or abusive relationship we don't spend a lot of time talking about women who say, this is just not the time for me to have a baby. And there's a, that has a direct impact, I think, on higher ed even more than the, all the other things that people talk about. Um, I can think back to uh, a point in my career where I had 12 women take step out uh, over the course of a, an academic year because they got pregnant and they never came back. They never came back and they had access but to a point, what Beth just said, it's $600 in Massachusetts to get an abortion. And that's a lot of money. 
that's real money. And uh, it's important for us to keep that in mind. Josh, let's talk about existing laws like in states like Texas, Oklahoma, um, Louisiana, and, uh, you know, we're looking at expansion of laws in those states where there's laws are either on the books or soon to be on the books that would allow for public to act as basically abortion vigilantes. Uh, Some people wonder if campuses would be considered maybe a safe haven for these laws. I I think I know the answer to this, but I want to make sure our audience is clear about your thoughts on this and what this actually looks like. Sure. Thanks. Yeah, this is uh, also the point where I, I do my little legal spiel and say that uh, the views I'm expressing now are my personal views and not those of my clients. And none of this should be considered legal advice because uh, I'm not speaking to people directly in that capacity. But I'm happy to offer, offer my, um, my my personal reviews and reflections on this one. Uh, as to these laws, as you, I think, well um, deemed uh, vigilante laws, uh, you know, Texas and a few other states have put these in place. Uh, essentially because prior to the recent Dobbs decision, they knew full well that they would not be able to enforce uh, the types of uh, abortion restrictions that they wanted to enforce uh, by doing it through the government, um, because that was clearly prohibited as a constitutional issue under uh, the, the, you know, not just Roe, but many other precedents since then. Um, So instead they created this uh, artificial legal standing where anybody anywhere, frankly, could use the Texas courts or the other courts as a venue to um, bring cases against people who aided and abetted those uh, who obtained abortions or abortion providers directly. And, uh, you know, it's, I think many folks know have been following this particular case. They're probably also aware that the Supreme Court uh, passed on giving this full review uh, earlier in the year and said, we're going to wait shadow and, and see. Yes, which is a much better marketing than what we tend to call it, which is the non-merit docket. Who <laughs> has merit or doesn't have merit. And uh, yeah, non-merit, yeah, is, is, is where this one fell. But shadow docket uh, uh, appears much better in headlines and uh, <laughs> makes for, for a good conversation. But it, it essentially came down to the same issue as what it's more we were expecting. Nightmare. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. It's exactly what it is. Um, is is we knew they were going to uh, find somewhat in this neighborhood uh, of the decision that came out as uh, in the Dobbs draft, um, and then you know this this just supported that thinking uh, that, that we came to expect. Um, but as as for campuses, because I know this was on people's minds and it's on my mind certainly in terms of liability, uh, I don't think it changes the equation very much because uh, while it provides this kind of artificial concept of standing for people who are completely unrelated to uh, a woman's decision to have an abortion or obtain one anywhere. Um, Colleges, I think, and Beth can also probably speak to this as well, colleges already do a lot to support women's health. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to change uh, because of the potential threat of some laws. Our priority, I I think, uh, among all of my colleagues that I know are, are to protect the health and safety of students and our uh, employees to the extent that we can, and colleges will just continue to do that. Um, I'm not aware of many colleges that actually provide uh, abortions. Um, there may be some because some certainly do have pretty extensive uh, medical programs and services, but for the vast majority of colleges, they're not engaged in that practice, and they are engaged in continuing supportive measures for students who are, are seeking to obtain them or to just take care of their essential health needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I 
frankly welcome anyone trying to sue a college for that. Uh, feel overall they're going to lose. Um, this again, you know, I mentioned the shadow docket because this hasn't really been challenged uh, at the top level yet uh, from a legal perspective, and it certainly will be because those cases are, are now making their way through the courts, and we'll be paying attention to those. Um, but you know, again, the bottom line for for colleges and the people that work there, we want to take care of our students, and we're going to continue to provide all of those other supportive services that colleges provide uh, related to women's health. Beth, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I know what's going through my mind because I literally have one of the most active imaginations about, you know, how students conflict actually happens on campus. But, you know, when when you think about this and you talk to your, uh, you know, as a follow up to Josh's comments here about, you know, what might be happening on some of those in some of those more restrictive states, you know, I see there's people who might say, you know what? $10,000 sounds pretty good. And I don't really like that person all that much. And I could do this on my own campus and I'm part of my state. Um, You know, what are your thoughts on, on what this might look like in practice in terms of health education and, and providing health health services on a campus? Wow. Well, (laughs) just to refer back to something Josh was saying, um, The American College Health Association, which is the professional organization for people in college health, put out a statement after the leak um, reaffirming its stance on providing reproductive health on college campuses. And one of the statistics they provided um, was that in their 2020 survey, so they survey their members and and also non-member campuses regularly about what people are providing for sexual health. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, 91% of the participating health services reported that they provided all options, pregnancy counseling and education, which included referrals to abortion services. And also 2% um, provided reported providing medication abortion on site. Mm. So I don't think I agree with Josh, there's not likely to be many colleges, if any, providing surgical abortion, um, Mm -hmm. but medication abortion is something that a small number of colleges are providing. As to people, I mean, it's hard to say. I thought, I was thinking prior to this, as I was preparing for this conversation, I was looking to see if there was much conversation about it in kind of discussion groups or listservs that I'm part of. And there was surprisingly little. Mm. And I don't think that indicates a lack of interest in this topic. I think it indicates a a state of overwhelm (laughs) that especially college health professionals are in we're still dealing with COVID. We're still, there's so much else that's going on that I think that a lot of people are talking about it more offline Mm -hmm. and are probably just like, we will deal with this when this decision is, because this is the leak. This is a leaked draft and it's likely going to be what the decision is, but it hasn't been handed down yet. Um, Until we actually see what it looks like. Yeah. And it's, I'm sure it'll just be great. Um, But Yes, absolutely. There could be people. I mean, it's hard to say. I haven't worked on a campus outside New England since the early aughts. So I don't feel that I personally have a good handle on what like your average conservative minded student at like a University of Texas campus might be thinking about Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. My general sense is there are definitely students on there are organizations on many campuses that are pro-life, you know, or they like mm-hmm. to call themselves pro-life, but are anti-choice organizations. Yeah. Um, I could certainly see perhaps some of those student orgs might decide to take advantage of the opportunity mm-hmm. if their state presents it to 
to make a statement slash spectacle out of this sort of thing. Um, Like Josh said, I don't know how far they get. Like I, you know, it feels, I don't want to say it feels far-fetched because I don't think it is, but I think if you were to speak to, especially folks who are like even deeper into the reproductive justice movement, they would be concerned about it, but it would be not the number one concern, Mm -hmm. but I, Mm -hmm. but I may be wrong about that. I mean, I think for me, it feels possible, but not like top three of my things that I would be worried about right Right. now. I I agree. And I just wanted to add to that because Beth, you mentioned um, your your colleagues and and the discussions that occur when that comes out. Uh, Obviously, you know, the college attorneys um, focus very clearly on Supreme Court decisions, especially ones that may have an impact on colleges. And, you know, we similarly haven't seen kind of a flurry of activity following the leaked draft on this one. Uh, and I, I agree that, um, you know, we're, we're also taking the position as lawyers that, uh, you know, wait and see what comes out. Uh, I think we can assume that the draft we've seen leaked is going to be what is produced or something very close to what is produced. Uh, and we can prepare for that. But, uh, you know, the issue of being sued uh, from these vigilante laws is not necessarily the priority. Uh, what I think is going to happen is, uh, you know, following the trigger laws that will fall into place, um, we're going to see the states that have more restrictive environments uh, looking to impose further legislative uh, restrictions on colleges. And I say that because we certainly saw that with COVID, um, a lot of the publics and red states were targeted. Um, regarding COVID measures saying, you know, you can't, um, you know, engage in masking or distancing or, you know, any of the things that many of the uh, other states were engaging in. And for what they were able to do at the time uh, in terms of legislative work was they really were able to target either through executive orders or through, um, you know, public boards or through actual legislation, these public institutions. And, you know, these public institutions then had to consider how they were going to manage the health and safety of their communities. Uh, and they did. Uh, I certainly heard from a lot of my colleagues about how they were managing to do that. But I think that's the the, the big thing coming for folks following this. So not necessarily um, the fallout, not necessarily the, the direct uh, impact of the decision that will enter in Dobbs, but the fallout from the ensuing uh, legislation, not necessarily the ensuing lawsuits that will occur, that will occur after that. That's a really good point. Um, you know, Beth, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the benefit, what has actually happened since Roe as far as how it's provided women uh, with uh, access to social and economic benefits. Um, and, uh, you know, since 1979, women have steadily outnumbered men on college campuses in regards to enrollment. Um, you know, what other uh, economic and social impacts that access to safe abortion has provided women as it relates to higher education? So one of the most comprehensive and well-known studies of kind of what the impact of either getting or not getting an abortion is for women um, is called the Turnaway Study. And it's a study that was done by an organization called Advancing New Standards in Reproductive Health. And what they did was um, they had a thousand subjects or close to a thousand subjects from about 30 different clinics around the country. Um, and the researchers interviewed these people over five years and compared the trajectories of the people who got the abortion they sought or the ones who were turned away because they were past the facility's gestational limit. Um, and the reason that someone might that might happen for someone um, 
very often goes back to other social determinants of health. A lot of the time you don't know that you are pregnant or don't know how pregnant you are because you don't have good access to, you know, healthcare, all, all kinds of other things that, you know, I, I, I am a person that like had great access and knew like right away, <laughs> right away went to the doctor. And like that has to do a lot with my like racial background and educational background and socioeconomic status. And so there are people that that's the situation for them is it's too late. Um, and then maybe they can't travel somewhere where they could get one. So they had these two groups basically of like, here's the people that got what they needed and here's the ones that didn't. The women who received a wanted abortion were more likely to have a positive outlook on the future and they were more likely to achieve what they call aspirational life plans within a year. Um, to me, that aspirational life plan certainly could be attendance at college or completion of a college degree, among other mm -hmm. things. Yep. Um, the bigger headline of the study is what happened to the ones that didn't get the abortion they wanted. Um, they had a four times greater odds of having their household income be below the federal poverty level, three times greater odds of being unemployed, um, increased likelihood that they didn't have money for food, housing, and transportation. Um, they were more likely to stay in abusive relationships or stay in contact with violent partners. Um, and they, and this meant, you know, since they didn't have an abortion, this was them and a child or children at greater risk. Mm -hmm. um, also continuing on pregnancy of any kind, whether you want it or not, is riskier medically than having an abortion. It's safer to have an abortion than to have a baby. Um, so this basically just says, like, you, if you don't get the abortion you want, you are more likely to be stuck living in poverty and possibly in an abusive situation and not be able to do the things you want with your life. If you get one, you're going to plan for the future. You're going to be able to work toward your goals in a way that, I mean, I think that we, I don't want to say that it's not possible to be a successful college student and a parent at the same time. It's possible. Mm -hmm. But I think we know, and especially a lot of us who didn't experience it firsthand before the pandemic certainly did during, there mm -hmm. is no safety net in this country for parents and yeah. children. Yeah. None. We don't have adequate child care. We don't have adequate support. Mm -hmm. And so you can do it. And we hear the thing that frustrates me. I'm a, I'm a real buzzkill slash fun at parties because people love on social media. To to my like, barbecue this woman. And... <laughs> yeah. Right. This woman finished her bar exam while she was in active labor. What a badass! And I'm like, yeah, but should she have had she to, have do that? to do that? Yeah. No, you know, or like this college professor held his student's baby so she could, that's adorable. And mm. I love that in like a, sometimes stuff goes wrong and your child care falls through, but like, mm. why do we have situations where parents have to bring a baby to class mm. or work or other places if they don't really want to do that every single week, you know, like, right. So those, those stories kind of remind you, like, you certainly can be a parent, be pregnant or be a parent and still stay in school, but it's really hard to do. And a lot of people just don't, it, it's not going to. I've, I've literally, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, your examples, fine. those are things that I literally 
have become this like, you know, cause they show these examples on Twitter and, and in other social media <laughs> landscapes and saying, look how inspiring this is. Look how awesome this is. I'm like, no, let's really look at where the safety net, like just literally collapsed. And this is why this exists. Like this should it's this, happen. It, it's like this 10 year old made money to pay for his mom's chemo with a lemonade stand. Yeah, no, and people want you to be like, that's so great. That's it awesome. sucks. That's terrible. Yeah. You, <laughs> like know, where the, you know where the lemonade stand money should be going to? A skateboard. That's what it should be yeah. going to. Not like chemo. let him buy Pokemon cards with that or something exactly. because he shouldn't be paying for his mom's chemo. Anyway, no, we made no. up a fake 10 year old. That was fun. <laughs> um, but yes, it's hard to stay in school. It's hard to persist and complete a degree if you are pregnant and especially if you're pregnant and don't want to be. Right. which is a physical and mental burden that people underestimate so much. And I think mm -hmm. we see how much they underestimate it when we hear people on the Supreme Court. She knows who I'm talking about her because Amy Coney Barrett definitely listens to this show. Um, she totally <laughs> she's, does. She's a big fan. She's a frequent listener. <laughs> Anytime someone is like, just put the baby up for adoption. It's like, yeah, because this person should have to just go through this because mm -hmm. you want your domestic supply of infants and that's just mm -hmm. fine yeah. so there we are with all that i you know i i want to go back to this idea that that there's a point in time and and all of these things all intersect and i and it makes me crazy that when a student takes a step out can't come back to school then their student loans start to pay back then we have to do this and it takes one more damn thing out of the system out of the ability for the person to actually persist and i'm just done like i literally am just done and i just feel as if um you know what we forget in all of this is that we have not put enough of a lens on how Roe has actually helped women outside, in, just in life and living a full life and having this opportunity. Um, and that is actually something that we can do on campus. And as we're thinking about what can we do, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, some of that as we move forward today, as we keep talking about what we can do, I think it's a completely appropriate for us to be saying, well, actually, you know what happened during this span of time, during this 50 years? This is how women advanced in our society. This is how women actually became the majority on college campuses. This is when there were opportunities for women to take other decisions in their lives, whether it be an undergraduate experience or we haven't talked really about it a lot, a graduate school experience. In the last few days, I've seen a lot of pictures of people graduating from graduate school with their fabulous robes and their fabulous tams and their fab, and you know how much I love that stuff. If you haven't listened to last week's show, please do. But you see folks who have achieved an aspirational goal in their lives. And how many of those women had to make a decision at some point that they don't regret? They're like, I don't regret this because now I'm a, I have a PhD. Now I don't regret this. Now I have a JD. I'm in good shape. And I couldn't have done this if I had to go through with a pregnancy. Um, Josh, you've already put in out there that you're, you are not giving out legal advice. So I want to reinforce that. Um, but <clears throat> I want you, if you were on a college campus where state laws were no longer hospitable to abortion access, um, 
you know, what would you be kind of thinking about? Not so necessarily much about counseling the community, but like think about, you know, our, you know, you and I work together. If I walked in your office and we were in Texas and I'd be like, okay, I need you to stop. Keep me from jumping off a ledge. I need you to tell me what I need to do right now in terms of like framing what my priorities might need to be. What would you kind of be saying to me while I was taking my flask out of my bag and trying to make it through the rest of the day? Yeah, that's definitely a uh, a meeting that is um, at a bar or something like yes. that at that point. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, clearly the decision uh, deeply impacts a lot of people. People feel very strongly about it. Uh, we we all know it's coming, um, and, and that's and that's tough. And um, I, you know, I, I had the same initial reaction uh, just from my personal beliefs seeing this, and felt the same way in terms of like, oh God, what do we do now? Um, and what what can we do is is you know the first thing I saw because it clearly an issue. It's been uh, the subject of advocacy for decades. Um, you know, very strong positions on either side of this. Um, and and here's my feeling on it. Just just seeing this, uh, and and this is absolutely what I would be discussing with with uh, someone at a college who asked the same question. We're not going to get any kind of relief. Uh, from the courts, um, and we just have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that is not a, a, a source that is going to change the things. It's going to change the way the tide is moving now. Uh, we're also not going to get uh, any relief uh, from a legislative perspective, at least at the federal level, uh, the way the Senate is uh, set up at the moment. Um, and, and it's not coming anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so given that we're not going to get relief from any of those areas that we typically look for, I would be reminding my college or any other college uh, that while you can't find relief there, you can provide relief as a even private or a public institution. And that's what we do a lot of the time already. Um, I I think uh, colleges already provide a lot of good support and services and they can continue to do so. And they just need to take a step back. Um, You know, I think there's a lot to be said about acknowledging what's been done and what's going to be done in the future coming from the government uh, on this. Um, But to stop and just think, well, I'm in a position, especially in student affairs or health services um, where I can help and, Mm -hmm. you know, go through what you're already doing and think about that in terms of the uh, suffering you're feeling right now directly uh, from this decision and think about how, what, what you're capable of doing can impact that. And like I said uh, earlier in the conversation, you know, there's a lot of services we already provide in terms of reproductive health and women's health at colleges and we'll continue to do so. I, I think practically, um, you know, you can provide those. Beth spoke of contraceptives and even, um, you know, the plan B. I, I'm not familiar with all of them personally because I'm not a medical professional, but um, there are lots of options that college can stock and provide. And if a college wants to be direct, I'll say this. Colleges already provide a lot of financial support for students. Mm-hmm. Um, colleges provide emergency support for students. Uh, most colleges I know have some kind of emergency fund set up for students. I was wondering students. who was going to bring the emergency fund up. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've definitely spoken about it. it it's, it's certainly been utilized for a number of reasons. But the practical thing we have to consider is that students, as you we pointed out in this conversation, Uh, if they are in a restrictive state and they need access to abortion services, they're going to need to go somewhere else. And as Beth has pointed out, you know, Massachusetts, $600. Mm -hmm. 
If you're in Massachusetts, you know, that's a good chunk of money, but you can get there. If you're in Texas, well, you can drive eight hours and not be out of Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, and it you becomes can, a problem. You can when drive you look 12 at... hours, 15 hours and not be at a state where you can get one because exactly, you're, yeah. their adjacent states aren't there. So you're having to fly or drive across the country. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you look at a map, you can find these maps online. Uh, just search for a map of trigger laws. You'll see it's cutting the south. Um, it is kind of the Rockies, western states. Uh, it's portions of the Rust Belt. And then you have these open portions where, you know, abortion needs is either protected or not triggered to be uh, restricted. And that's, you know, the northeast, the west coast, portions of the Midwest. So you're absolutely right. Um, it becomes an insurmountable financial cost for some people. Um, but at the same time, colleges have means for that. And you know, I certainly know students who travel out of state for medical treatments. Um, you don't have to set it up directly and say, hey, this is our abortion fund, because uh, you'll probably get in trouble for that. Mm -hmm. But a general fund that's you know, not set up in a non-discriminatory manner uh, that provides generic uh, financial support for students who are in need uh, and need to travel for medical services, I think is something you can look to. And it's, like I said, something a lot of places already do. We already provide financial assistance to students who are in need uh, and need to receive care and me just, you know, while we don't provide the care, we can certainly provide the support in getting the care. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I, I always like to remind folks of that because, you know, I, I work for colleges because I believe in the mission. Um, and, you know, even looking at the news this week, like I said before, uh, you take those examples and you think about um, what's happening in politics right now. And, you know, you're not going to get relief from the courts. You're not going to get relief from the legislature. Um, the people who can help are the people who are working for colleges. Yep. And I always like to remind my clients of that. Um, Beth, as a follow-up to that, you know, as a public health expert, what would you, uh, how would you be mobilizing in, in terms of your messaging um, and your resources and the services that you would be providing on campus? So something Josh mentioned um, is that, and we talked about a little bit earlier, is just that, a lot of colleges are already providing all options counseling. They're already providing contraception. Many of them are already pro providing emergency contraception. None of these are abortion, no matter what some people believe. Some people think. Um, and, and quick side note, I do worry about, and Josh could speak more to this about how sort of all this works legally. Cause I'm certainly not an expert on this part, but you know, I think there's been a lot of talk about like after this decision, if it stays the way the draft is, is Griswold next? Mm -hmm. Is you know yeah. Casey next? About, like, are, yeah, are we talking? Are about, we talking uh, about contraception, contraception next? Contraception next, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we probably will be, but I'm a pessimist anyway. Yeah. But while they can, <laughs> while possible, colleges are already doing these things, already providing these things. I think a thing you can sort of up your messaging on is that these are available and legal. Mm -hmm. um, up your messaging and education about what they are and what they do. Um, under Get people to understand like th these things, especially the options for emergency contraception are not going to end an established pregnancy. They're going to hopefully prevent one. Mm -hmm. um, especially in the college population, I would be promoting long acting reversible contraceptives. Mm -hmm. um, so basically IUDs. Okay. Yeah. Um, IUDs, hormonal implants, the sort of um, contraceptives that can be placed by a medical professional and stay in place for 
usually two to three years up to five, six, seven, ten years in some mm-hmm. cases. Um, these are a great option for anyone really um, who doesn't, for whom it's not contraindicated, but great options for people because the human error is non-existent. You can forget mm-hmm. to take a pill. You can't forget that your IUD is in there doing its job silently yeah. for years on end. Chug um, along. <laughs> just doing its thing. Just doing its I lo- thing. I, I love an IUD. They're the best. But truly, like, this is, those have a huge, high, high, high effectiveness rate. Mm-hmm. They get put in. You don't think about it. It is a set it and forget it option. Mm-hmm. And um, not easy for a partner, an abusive partner to tamper with your birth control if it is literally in your uterus, <laughs> whereas they can throw away pills and mess right. with condoms and do other terrible things. So th- that would be one thing. I think another is to recognize, reach out to, create or improve relationships with the existing networks and resources out there. Mm-hmm. As Josh said, you don't want to create your own fund, like, and call it, <laughs> say that it's for abortion for legal reasons, but you also don't need to do that because there already is one. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that has been interesting and a little bit frustrating to watch as this, you know, goes through the news cycle is all the people that have this reaction of like, I will step up to like create my own, um, you know, network of, no, you don't need to do that. You need need to look at, they exist. Like you, there is an abortion fund that serves your area. There is a wonderful organization called the Bridget Alliance that does practical support for people who need to travel for abortion. So like find out what's around you and what's available, Mm -hmm. figure out how you can refer students there or, you know, maybe even volunteer your time or donate money or make sure that those kind of mutual aid organizations continue to exist um, certainly lean on your student em- emergency fund. Um, as Josh said, most organi- most colleges have one. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're for medical care. Sometimes grandpa died and you need a plane ticket home for the funeral and you can't afford one and the college mm-hmm. will buy you one if mm-hmm. you're in need. Um, and they could certainly be put into use here. Mm-hmm. I think more, I would hope that more health centers on campuses, if they are not already doing so, and we know from the info from ACHA, most are not doing this, might look into the possibility of offering self-managed medication abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, they, a lot of providers on college campuses are nurse practitioners with mm-hmm. expertise in women's health. So they right. certainly have the expertise and the licensure to prescribe the medication needed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great option. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also be encouraging, you know, if I were working with clinicians and just in my job that I do have educating students, I want them to know, in addition to, you know, support networks that already exist, um, we have the internet and the internet already has really great websites. Like there's INeedAna.com and NeedAbortion.org, which are two established websites where you can go and enter some details about yourself and find out, okay, this is where, this is where Mm -hmm. I can go. This is what it's going to cost me. This is what I need. I think there's also, this isn't really an answer to your question, but it's related. I think there has understandably been some nervousness around using um, technology to uh, look for information about these things. You know, everyone's a bit paranoid, which I totally understand. Um, Like I literally had people say, you're going to delete the period tracker off of do, your kid's phone kind of thing. Do do that. Right? Yes. Um, there is one, there is actually one that doesn't collect data. It's called Yuki, E-U-K-I. 
if someone wants to use a period that's tracker. Throwing out that's a long. lot of links, and so I am. I'll send you an email later. <laughs> send me an email later. And for those of you who are not already subscribed to my Substack, please do, and you will have mm-hmm. an access to all the links because in when I replay the show on my Substack, uh, you will have all the links. Yes, but I I just think it's about you know it that's what I'm going to be thinking about this summer when this decision comes down is like, how do I talk to my students about Mm -hmm. here are the ways you access the resources. Um, We are lucky. We're in Massachusetts. We have access to a lot of things that people in other States don't. Um, But it's not going to not impact us. Like people are going to be coming here from other places who weren't coming here before. And there are still limits. I mean, situations still arise where people from Massachusetts have to travel to Maryland or Colorado or other states um, to get abortions later in pregnancy for various reasons. So it's going to be a thing where I think leaning on the resources and networks that have already been doing this for so long and supporting them when we can, either through our time and energy or our money, is going to be the way that we need to engage in this. So we're going to shift to my, you know, I want to talk about money, but I want to talk about different kind of money in a second. But before we do that, I want to just plug a few shows that are coming up. Uh, We're going to have a very full month ahead, especially the month of June, um, because we're going to take the month of July off because I'm going to. I'm taking the month off. I don't want any of you people calling me. I don't want you pinging me. I don't want nothing from you people. I am taking the month off. But uh, the month of June, we have a a lot of great shows coming up next week on uh, Wednesday. The first, we have a special, uh, we have uh, Hank Reichman from the University of North Carolina Special Committee on Institutional Racism. Um, It is going to be an absolutely fascinating conversation. Uh, This was a uh, massive report looking at the entire UNC system. Um, It is just, it's, it's mind boggling. And it was really looking at where we are with governance, where we are with political influence, what's happening throughout that system. And it has absolute relevancy across the across the the academy no matter what state you're in so please i would encourage you to please join in next week again that will be on wednesday the first at 12 o'clock um the next day on uh june 2nd we uh are having our final think tank episode of the academic year we had to shift it because of some scheduling issues we'll be joined by dr Corey davis dr gage Payne, and dr gina master de casa to talk about uh what has happened this year, uh, and that was our last Think Tank episode of the year to really reflect back on the news of the year. On uh, June the 15th, we are going to be joined at 11 a.m. by uh, Dr. Olena Morahayan. Um, she is from uh, the University of Kharkiv in Ukraine. Um, she is going to join uh, me, and I hope all of you can join us for that show. Um, she is going to be speaking about what has been happening on the ground in Kharkiv, uh, the impact of the war on their students, what they have done to support them as they, as they have literally scattered all over the globe to continue their studies, how this has impacted the men on their campus, the Ukrainian men on their campus who cannot leave the country and are, are now fighting the war against Russia. Um, and um, I, I'm going to just tell you, she is absolutely fascinating, and I hope you can join us for that, and that'll be on uh, June 15th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. 
And then finally, uh, uh, on June 22nd, I'll be joined by Nancy Hunter Denny. She is a uh, national, uh, nationally renowned speaker and trainer. And we're going to be talking about how you're going to build your own professional competency for the year ahead. Um, and that will be a great conversation. There are other, uh, other shows uh, in the works. So please follow me here on Fireside. You'll get all the updates on uh, what's coming, what's scheduled, and what we're doing. Um, so last question uh, before we, we end the show today, I want to talk about money. And uh, money, as we know on our campuses, is directly impacted by enrollment. And um, how do we see this, uh, the overturning of Roe, possibly having an impact on enrollment, where people choose to go to college, where people choose to work, where to people choose to kind of engage on campus. And um, how do you see that potentially happening? Um, something Beth said just now, uh, you know, if I was a, a, if I'm a parent and my child wants to go to school in one of these red states that uh, we know are going to have a trigger law or an existing law um, and, Maybe she has a scholarship to the school or it's her top choice school or it's the best school for her particular major. Um, I would be talking to her about an IUD. I would be talking to her about uh, a hormonal implant just because I don't know if that would even be something she could get on campus or in her state. Um, what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on what this might look like in terms of enrollment and how this might uh, impact these campuses? And this is just a free flowing conversation. So Josh and Beth, whoever wants to start. Sure. You know, I, I think um, we're looking at at least a couple of years living under this status quo um, mm -hmm. at, at minimum. Yep. Uh, and you know, I, we've spoken about this in other contexts long before because we were talking, uh, we always talk about enrollment when, when no matter your department or area in college. Yep. Uh, and we've all been warned that there's a demographic cliff coming up in about four years or less. And there will be less traditional aged college students available um, for the same more or less number of schools. So the competition for students is going to increase. And I, I totally agree. If you're looking at not just one state, but a block of states um, where you may be looking to attend college and you're considering uh, your uh, investment in college, what, what else are you going to consider to protect that investment in college? Um, it's a considerable amount. Uh, I don't think tuition reform is coming anytime soon. Um, <laughs> prices are going to continue to go up. Uh, you know, if you're looking to spend that amount of money, I, I would imagine um, that you are also thinking about making sure you can make your way through college, as, as Beth talked about with the study earlier in this. Uh, this is a serious financial commitment and lifelong commitment, and that's going to factor in. So um, I, I, I must imagine that uh, people who have the means to go to some of these colleges as an option in these states that are more restrictive are going to be considering whether or not to choose a college elsewhere um, that will protect uh their ability to continue attending college uh, successfully uh, over the next four to six years. I, I agree. I think that there's, I mean, this always comes down to money, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately this is going to come down to people having the opportunity to send their child to school wherever they want to go. Um, and, and that sort of thing. And it's, it always hits, hits folks who don't have an option. 
Um, but you know, uh, Beth, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think Josh hit all, pretty much all of it correctly. Um, I think the other thing good job, that Josh. comes to mind, I mean, great job. Um, <laughs> it's about, it's not just about the students. I think that yes. colleges and universities are going to have a hard time recruiting and retaining talent mm-hmm. um, if they they're located. Are. They already and are. They already are. <laughs> they already are. Oh my goodness. Um <laughs> such another episode i'm sure yeah we've done but, several <laughs> yeah i was going to say it's it's been discussed but yeah. i think you know these are the sorts of jobs especially when we're talking about like tenure track faculty people mm. move for that people yeah. will pick up and people will move to a place halfway across the country or more if they get that job and now i think these people some of them might be saying mm. i don't know like yeah. do i want to go live and work in Texas or Oklahoma or somewhere else where I or my children, you know, are not going to have the same rights that right. they might have in another place. Um, this isn't and just then, a TIA, TIAA-CREF matching no. conversation. <laughs> well, it's yeah. the same. It's not. I mean, yeah. this is yeah. literally yeah. like, do I want to not have a free life living in this state? I mean, it's a bigger, it's a bigger, broader, worse version of like, I have here in Massachusetts, there are, and especially in the Boston area, there are several great schools mm-hmm. that are affiliated with the Catholic Church or other religious organizations that like jobs will come up and I'll have people be like, you'd be great for this. And I'm like, mm, mm. what does their health insurance cover? Yeah. Because I need stuff that they may say no to, not to mention, I think teaching and uh, educating about reproductive health on those campuses is a different story than it is on a non-affiliated, you know, not religiously affiliated campus. And those, and there's a spectrum even within the Catholic colleges and other stuff like that. But I think it's that it's like recruiting and retaining talent. And then not just retaining talent because someone might go, I need to get the heck out of this state I'm working in, but like you could have an employee who has an unwanted pregnancy that, They are not able to terminate if they want to. And then they end up with a child they weren't planning on and or a medical complicate. Like there's all these things that can derail someone's trajectory. And I think that people are not going to want to sign up for that. And then it's going to impact people in ways that we can't even imagine at this point, um, which is really scary to think about. But I think it's hard to it's hard to think about this part optimistically because I think we've already seen throughout the pandemic and before it too, but especially throughout the pandemic, there's a lot of institutions and places outside of higher ed, employers outside of higher ed, who are still not listening to the fact that like your employees are people, they need support, they need flexibility, they need you know there's all these things right. they need, and right. this has really thrown it into like high relief and there's still employers just going like, no, I need you to be as productive as you were in the spring of 2020 before this all started. Let's get right. back to it. Right. And that's not well, how this works. When I works. look at it, <laughs> and I mean, like, again, this is all intersected. Okay. So now I'm somebody looking at a job or I'm looking to recruit people and I am in a state where we're banning books. 
We are telling people that they are not going to be able to get an abortion. We are limiting people's ability to enroll in a, in a school for their kids that actually teaches history. You know, like there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here and you are going to end up with a brain drain. Like that's my conviction. I believe truly that there are going to be some states right now where we're going to end up not only with a lack of opportunity for kids to get a full education, but we are going to end up with state institutions where we don't have the best faculty. We are going to end up in states where people are literally graduating from high school and college, not knowing facts, um, you know, and, and we are going to end up in a state in, 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 in environments where you're going to see women, especially women of color who are in massive levels of poverty not completing high school or college and having great having great societal impacts there this is all related and i think that when i look at this through the the money lens okay i'm going to say it you can't continue to try and recruit people from the outside of your state to come in to be in a place where women are second class citizens and women of color are 12th class citizens okay so women, white women being second class citizens and and women of color being down the down the ladder that much more and and they're not people are not going to want to do that and there is going to be a point where this is going to hit people in the dollar and there's going to be an a, a, someone's going to say this doesn't make sense and they're going to be heard at whatever level that might make a change but it's not going to make a change it's not going to make a change well and it intersects also with all of the things we are seeing across the country around um laws impacting the lgbtq population who also seek abortions um i know it's really it's really common and easy to fall into saying women but it's not just women um appreciate that yep and i think but i think also like these these laws are not or these attempts at laws are not unrelated no um because what you've just said is an extremely good point that like this is largely about who are the groups we want to continue to disenfranchise mm-hmm. and who are the groups we want to make sure are going to stay poor and stay without power. Right. And how many, and how many people of the trans community are we going to bully into a point of suicide? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it is literally, this is where we're at. So that was an, that was an uplifting, you know, Beth said it earlier that she's a buzzkill. Well, that was it right there, right there. I've been you know, one. I, I took the mantle. I'm on record as being one since what, like 2005. Yeah. Anyway, no, Beth, Beth is one of my favorite people in the world, despite the fact that she's a massive buzzkill. So being that said, I want to thank Josh and I want to thank Beth. Um, I always ask people at the end, how can people find you and connect with you? Beth, how would you like that to happen? Um, The place where I am the most loud and obnoxious about this issue is absolutely Twitter. Again, where you can go for all of your bad news needs. Um, (laughs) I am BethG24 on Twitter. Um, Okay. So yeah, or you can follow you me there. If you want to connect with her in a more professional environment, yes, you can find, you can her find on me. LinkedIn. <laughs> you can find me on LinkedIn if you would like to see the the professional version of me that is not screaming about abortion. That's on LinkedIn. Yay, <laughs> Josh. How can people find you? I'll, I'll I'll take the LinkedIn reference as well. Just look for <laughs> Joshua Grubman on LinkedIn. Uh, 
trying to stay off Twitter, trying to keep my mood up. There you go. Well, thank you, everybody. And you can connect with me on various platforms. The information for me is running across the middle of your screen right now on the Fortune Cookie. Thank you very much for joining us here on Fireside on Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. I hope you join me next week. And now get out there and learn something. Have a great week, everybody.